Welcome to The Collective Table, the ultimate female perspective on Jesus, justice, and joy with Chelsea Simon, with Dana Black, and with Claire Watson. We are all United Methodist pastors in different places of the ordination process. The three of us are working to provide progressive and affirming Christian content, resources, and community through The Collective Table. The Collective Table offers many ways to connect in person and virtually, such as a podcast. We are in our sixth season of the podcast, diving into the parables of Jesus. Each episode, we will discuss these stories that Jesus told, which uproot, not confirm conventional thoughts and ideas. They are not motivational snippets or general truths. This may seem surprising or unsettling for many of us, especially if you've been raised in the Christian faith tradition. Our goal throughout the season is to help you get comfortable with feeling uncomfortable. What part, moment, or person in the parable caused a reaction of resistance rather than acceptance? How might we, together in community, understand this parable from a different perspective? Can we allow ourselves to seek with curiosity so the breath of God can speak to us today in our time and space? everyone, Chelsea here. Today I want to share with you a reflection about the Good Samaritan. This is probably one of Jesus's most well-known and beloved parables. I'm sure you have heard it before, but I just want to read through it. This comes from the Gospel of Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. I'm reading the Common English Bible translation or CEB, so if you're looking it up and following along, I'm using that translation. A legal expert stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to gain eternal life? Jesus replied, what is written in the law? How do you interpret it? He responded, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But the legal expert wanted to prove that he was right. So he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He encountered thieves who stripped him naked, beat him up, and left him near dead. Now it just so happened that a priest was also going down the same road. When he saw the injured man, he crossed over to the other side of the road and went on his way. Likewise, a Levite came by that spot, saw the injured man, and crossed over to the other side of the road and went on his way. A Samaritan, who was on a journey, came to where the man was. But when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. The Samaritan went to him and bandaged his wounds, tending them with oil and wine. Then he placed the wounded man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took two full days' worth of wages and gave them to the innkeeper. He said, Take care of him, and when I return I will pay you back for any additional costs. What do you think? Which one of these three was a neighbor to the man who encountered thieves? Then the legal expert said, The one who demonstrated mercy towards him. Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I, like you, truly wish we could find a way to live in a world that is full of harmony, and peace and joy. 
a world in which we recognize our interconnectedness and need for one another. I love how Father Greg Boyle says it. We want to create a world where we stop throwing people away and realize that it is kinship that matters. Only kinship. Inching ourselves closer to creating a community of kinship such that God might recognize it. Soon we imagine, with God, this circle of compassion. Then we imagine no one standing outside of that circle, moving ourselves closer to the margins so that the margins themselves will be erased. Or as Josiah Rice said, and then Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. popularized, we are after the beloved community. A community of mutual respect, compassion, and care for one another. And to do that, we are tasked with bringing the kingdom of God to earth. The way I have come to understand this charge is through this radical rabbi who lived in the Middle East over 2,000 years ago named Jesus. In my understanding of Jesus' life, he constantly works and teaches in ways that turn society's expectations on their heads. And I am amazed at the way he always manages to find a third way of responding. When the world tells us things are black and white, Jesus says, actually, they're rainbow. To me, Jesus is the one who teaches by answering questions with a question. Fun fact, did you know that in the Gospels, Jesus is asked 183 questions? He directly answers only three of them. But he asks 307. Jesus didn't teach us how to respond to questions with right answers. Instead, he taught us how to ask the right questions. Questions that would lead to wrestling, exploring, discussing, and questions that would ultimately lead to more questions. His goal was to continue to expand our hearts and minds so that we might grow into people who would commit ourselves to creating that beloved community. Jesus wants us to see the world from different perspectives, not just our own, which is exactly what he tries to do in the story we just read. He doesn't just give a simple answer and walk away. At first, he responds to the lawyer's question with a question. And then he goes on to tell a story. This story of the Good Samaritan is probably one of Jesus' most well-known and beloved teachings. It is beloved because it is often very misunderstood. We have domesticated this subversive and difficult parable into a nice little children's story about helping others when they need it. And quite honestly, that's a great takeaway. We should all be challenged to help people in need. But if we stop there, we're missing it. Because there's so much more going on here. We've turned many of Jesus' parables into tame, motivational snippets. But that was not their intention. And that is not how Jesus' audience would have heard them. If we read a parable and think, what a lovely story. Or, oh, I really like that. We're not paying close enough attention. Jesus' parables go further than that which makes them so much more interesting and challenging and life-giving. Garrison Keillor says, The gospel is meant to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Parables are meant to push the boundaries of comfortability. They convict us of some prejudices that we may not want to come face-to-face with. And isn't that the point of any sacred text or poem or song or movie? We dive into those stories and discover our own in the process. These stories enlighten various truths in our lives that can help us to see more clearly. So let's dive into this story so that we might see more clearly. Jesus is approached by an expert in the law, 
a lawyer. Now, lawyers in this day were a bit different than we imagine them today. They were not only experts in the law, but also in the scriptures, because in Jewish society there was no distinction between civil law and religious law. This lawyer knew the scriptures inside and out. When the lawyer asked this question, what must I do to gain eternal life? He already knows the right answer. He was asking this question in front of others to test Jesus. See, the religious elite were nervous about Jesus. He was threatening to them and to their power structures. They had complicated and manipulated religion as a way to determine who was in and who was out. But Jesus said, there is none of that. Everyone is in. And they didn't like that. The lawyer asked this question with the hopes of trapping Jesus one way or another. But Jesus answers his question with a question. What is written in the law? How do you interpret it? To which the lawyer correctly responds, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, You got it. Just go do that. But the lawyer wasn't done. He asks, And who is my neighbor? The command to love one's neighbor immediately prompted the lawyer's question, which was understood to define the limits of required neighborliness. I assume the lawyer would have loved to discuss the finer points of responsible neighborliness at length. What better way to put off getting his hands dirty than to talk theory for hours? But Jesus does not take the bait. In the lawyer asking this follow-up question, he is actually revealing something about himself. His question is not, who is my neighbor, but rather, who is not my neighbor? As in, how much love are we talking about here, Jesus? Can you be more specific? Where can I draw the line? Outside my front door? At the edges of my neighborhood? Along the religious and cultural boundaries I was raised with to keep me pure and holy? I mean, there are lines, aren't there? There must be lines. We can't be neighbors with everyone. So Jesus tells this provocative and shocking story. A man is left for dead on the side of the road. Two different priestly figures. Two men who are supposed to be holy. Two men who know the scriptures. Two men who have the right beliefs. See this destitute man and keep on walking. Now in these types of stories, the audience was expecting a third character. They were perhaps expecting a regular Joe Israelite to walk in and save the day. But Jesus takes it a step further. In enters a, dun-dun-dun, a Samaritan, the Jewish people's most hated enemy. Samaritans and Jews actually hated each other. While they worshipped the same God, they had very different ideas about what worship and purity, and while everything really, was to look like. Jesus was telling this story to a widely Jewish audience, and a good Samaritan was an impossibility to those listening. According to the Jews, a Samaritan was a religious heretic and racially and occupationally inferior. To Jesus' Jewish audience, as well as to Luke's readers, the idea of a good Samaritan would make no more sense than the idea of a good murderer. But Jesus tells this story to make a point. What you think is outside, God has put inside. In telling this story about a hated mixed-race Samaritan doing a good deed, Jesus is disrupting the ideas of borders and boundaries. Are you getting uncomfortable yet? Who are those people that we could not dream of calling good? Who is the person you would hate to help on the side of the road? 
who is the person you would least want to help you if you were left for dead on the side of the road? May I throw out some possibilities? A progressive Democrat is robbed, and a far-right Republican saves her life. A racist white cop is robbed. An African-American teenager saves his life. A transgender woman is robbed. And an anti-LGBTQ activist saves her life. An outspoken atheist is robbed. And a Bible-thumping fundamentalist saves his life. A Border Patrol agent is robbed. And an undocumented immigrant saves his life. I don't mean for a moment to trivialize the real and consequential differences that divide us politically religiously, racially, or ideologically. I know that these differences are, even today, costing people their lives. But the hostility between the Jews and the Samaritans in Jesus' day was not theoretical. It was embodied and real. The differences between them were not easily negotiated. Each was fully convinced that the other was wrong and that they were right. So what Jesus did when he deemed the Samaritan good was radical and risky. It stunned his Jewish listeners. He was asking them to dream of a different kind of world. He was inviting them to consider the possibility that a person might add up to more than the sum of her political, racial, cultural, and economic identities. He was calling them to put aside the history they knew and the prejudices they held. He was asking them to leave room for divine and world-altering surprises. I know for myself, I am often closed off to these divine and world-altering surprises. I assume I know everything I need to know about a person according to what car they drive. I can separate out good people from bad people based on this one small aspect of their lives. That is until someone in a massive pickup truck with an American flag decal on the back lets me in front of them. A divine surprise. And I am reminded that they are a human with dignity and worth just like I am. A few years ago, I, along with my ministry partner, started The Collective Table. It is a progressive and affirming Christian platform that provides content, resources, and community for those who want to follow Jesus, work for justice, and celebrate joy. Our mission statement is as follows. The Collective Table strives to be an LGBTQIA affirming, gender-equalizing, creation-caring, pro-immigrant, peacemaking, community-building, racial justice-seeking, all-ability-welcoming community. Doubters, seekers, atheists, agnostics, and committed people of faith are all welcome. Pretty good, right? We felt good about how these values would guide our work and our practice. We felt confident that they would create an expansive space of wonder, examination, and action. Well, that is until my friend asked me a rather difficult question. Would a racist be welcomed in our space? Huh. In complete honesty, my first instinct was no. But as I thought about it, I was led to a different conviction. Again, I am not trying to dismiss the real-life implications and impacts that this ideology has on our nation and world, and I'm not saying there are no boundaries or expectations that our community is expected to follow. But would a racist who is seeking to understand a more expansive vision of faith and spirituality be welcomed in our space? Yeah. I want to be a person, and I want to have a community in which we are open to divine and world-altering surprises. We all have these invisible lines drawn in the sand, those who are our neighbor and those who are not. And these lines, they draw us into apathy or ignorance 
or even hate. We all have them, but Jesus just rejects this view of the world entirely. So he takes this controversial figure and he makes him the example of love and compassion and mercy. If we view the world as neighbor and non-neighbor, we are already defeated. When we only think of ourselves and our tribe, those with whom we get along, those who think like us, those who vote like us, those who participate in the world like us, we're missing it. We're missing the shalom, the completeness, the wholeness that is right there in front of us. Setting people apart, setting ourselves apart, has kept us from discovering the sacred in everything and in everyone. Mother Teresa diagnosed the world's ills in this way. We've just forgotten that we belong to each other. Because the truth is there is no them and us. There's only us. There's only us. One of the things I've noticed lately is that many of us are not even willing to walk the Jericho Road, that road that might lead us to engage with the other. We have become siloed. We stick close to our own kind. And what this does is it reinforces those prejudices that we already hold. We don't allow for any opportunity for divine and world-altering surprises. How might we begin to think about this differently? To put ourselves in places and situations that might be uncomfortable, but that will open us up to a little more understanding. We have the power to change the world, to create that beloved community. We really do. Let us be moved with compassion. Let us erase the lines that separate us. Let us open ourselves up to those divine and world-altering surprises. May we go and do likewise. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. Together, we are what God looks like. The Collective Table is supported by San Diego United Methodist Church in Encinitas, California, and the California Pacific Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church. A big thank you to our producer and content editor, Claire Watson. If you'd like to financially support the work of The Collective Table, please visit us at thecollectivetable.org. There you can also find out more about who we are and view past episodes. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast, YouTube channel, and newsletter, and keep up with us on our Instagram and Facebook at The Collective Table.